Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Option Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, and good morning to our audience. Welcome back. Happy to have you with us. We know that you are the leaders in your community, and you're here to educate yourselves and share that information because you want to make a difference. And our guest wants to make a difference. She is an incredibly brave person. I believe it takes a lot of courage to stand up for the common good without regard to your reputation, and and that's exactly what Dr. Stephanie Seneff has done. She's a scientist who knows her stuff. It's an honor to have her on the show again, this time with a new book, and we're very honored to have her new book and her and everything that she wants to talk about, sunlight, GMOs, cholesterol, statin. She's a very busy woman, and we want to welcome her to the show in just a few minutes. We have a a few short announcements because we want to get in as much as possible um, about Dr. Seneff and what she is doing. It says in her new book that she wants to guide the general public toward a new way to live their lives, and we want to help do that. We are coming to you um, from the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health in Ohio, and my short message is that we do have up the information on our new Sound Health portal, and I've got the hiccups, for people who um, have been in the California fires the breathing free is up, PTSD is up, Gardasil damage is up, so you can go right to Sound Health Portal, uh, enter your vocal print, it's free. We keep five or six P, uh, templates up there all the time for people. Um, Fukushima um, database is up there too, for those of you um in the way of all of that garbage, and Richard helped us put that together. That's enough said about that. We are not simultaneously broadcasting. If you want to hear what's going on, go to Blog Talk Radio, 347-850-1407. We are grateful to the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology for sponsoring this all the time. Uh, and want to tell you, if you've not heard, that we just had a paper presented at the December Conference of the International Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. You can get a copy of that on our site. It's our first step into bioacoustic being accepted into um, the medical arena, uh, I guess. Some people would say that's not a very good thing anyway. Um Today, for our Guardian members, uh, you can go to your Guardian site and download the fibromyalgia software for this month so that you can help test yourself and your clients. There's software, articles, and videos there. I think that is all of my short um, announcements. Richard, over to you. Uh, First, I want to remind people, because this is one of those shows, we've interviewed Dr. Seneff several times, 
and I know that she is just loaded with information, and especially with the new book, uh, that there's just a, boy, there's a bunch. <laughs> Cindy and Erica's obsession to solve today's healthcare crisis. It's, it's a great story. Uh, well, great in large quotes. Uh, so you're going to want to be able to listen to this again and or tell your friends, and you can listen again about 10 to 15 minutes after we end the show by going to soundhealthoptions.com, clicking on the radio tab, and then clicking on the Blog Talk Radio Archive tab, and there will be the last five shows that we have done, including this one. And then you can also go to iTunes or Stitcher or Pocket Casts or Dogcatcher or any number of apps of your choice, and search for Sherry Edwards and find the over 550 hours of shows, which is shocking, uh, that we've done. And this will be the latest post there. And then also, I really advocate for people to go to Blog Talk Radio, sign up for free. They don't spam you. They don't email you. They don't really publicize from that side. And then follow the show at Blog Talk Radio because you'll get notifications before the show, uh, just who the guest is and the information on the link directed to the show. And it really helps bump us our ratings up in Blog Talk Radio, which is always a good thing. Um, Yeah, I think that's it for that. And I do have one short announcement which leads right into introducing Dr. Seneff, is that... uh, the title of the ad, the uh, headline is Israel rejects mandatory flu shots in hospitals for doctors and nurses. How amazing is that? A country that is not mandating that every healthcare practitioner get flu shots. I just think that's you know stupendous. I'll uh, put that information on that article in the chat. Okay, and now are are we ready, Sherry? Ready to really, is everybody please be comfortable and have a beverage. This show is going to be pedal to the metal, I already know. Sounds like it from what we've done before. (laughs) That's right. Plethora of information. Exactly. Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She received her BS degree in biophysics in 1968, the MS and EE degrees in electrical engineering in 1980, and the PhD in electrical engineering and computer science in 1985, all from MIT. For over three decades, her research interests have always been at the intersection of biology and computation. In recent years, Dr. Seneff has focused her research interests back towards biology, She's concentrating mainly on the relationship between nutrition and health. Since 2011, she's published over two dozen papers in various medical and health-related journals on topics such as modern-day disease, that is Alzheimer's, autism, cardiovascular disease, analysis and search of databases of drug side effects using NLP techniques, and the impact of nutritional deficiencies in environmental toxins on human health. Stephanie's joining us to talk about her new book, and all that was within the book is Cindy and Erica's Obsession to Solve Today's Healthcare Crisis, Autism, Alzheimer's Disease, Cardiovascular Disease, ALS, and more. Welcome, Dr. Seneff. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> so I have a sideways entrance into our conversation. Uh, the sideways is 
in your research, in all of your research, do you see a start point when good fats were given the bad rap? A starting point when that happened? I, I think it's yeah. connected to uh, statin drugs, probably. I mean, they really wanted to emphasize the idea that cholesterol is bad for you. And cholesterol, of course, goes with fat. And um, so to uh, to make a case for avoiding cholesterol, I mean, a way to do that is to avoid fat, you know, fatty foods, you know. Um, I think it was probably tied to the statin drugs. I mean, that would be my guess. Because they were, at that time, they were realizing that statins would, would lower your cholesterol by messing up the liver's ability to make it. And so they wanted to make a case for uh, cholesterol and therefore fats being bad for you. At least that's the way I would think of it. You may have a different story. No. Well, I, I think part of it was somewhere along the way of the carbohydrate revolution and the Kellogg revolution. I think there was some kindred, you know, that was probably part of what you're talking about is the fat was bad, carbohydrates was good. Um, and I'm always interested in and the chicken and the egg. A lot that, of, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think a lot of what drives the, uh, their concept of how, what they want to push for nutrition has to do with what they can make cheaply and sell and make money off of. So the things that they can make the most money off of are the things they want you to believe are good to eat. I think there is that game. Right. And so let's dive directly into Let's talk about statins then. Tell us tell us about your journey with statins. <laughs> I didn't mean to say yes, it that way, well, but that's, I know it's been quite a journey. <laughs> I mean, it's been amazing. It, it has been, yes. And in fact, it was, you know, really about more than 10 years ago, I guess, is when I... Um, and my husband, we, he thought he was fine, and then he got diagnosed with heart disease, and they put him on a high-dose statin, and he immediately started suffering from a lot of side effects. And even before he had been prescribed it, I used to laugh at the ads on the TV because I just thought it was so stupid that anybody would want to try to mess with cholesterol synthesis because I knew it was a super important molecule in the body. And, uh, you know, it, I feel cholesterol is to animals as chlorophyll is to plants. It's really what distinguishes us from plants. Cholesterol is what gives us mobility. It's what gives us a nervous system, a brain. You don't want to do anything that's going to prevent your body from producing an adequate amount of cholesterol for it. So um, so I was certainly, we went through a year of um, of arguing, and his doctor, of course, wanted him on him forever, and uh, he, he, uh, he, I finally persuaded him to cut back, and he slowly tapered off and got, and got completely off of him after one year. And uh, he, he's never, he's assured me he will never take a statin drug, so this makes me very relieved. And I, it is true that these days I feel that the uh, winds are, are changing and people are becoming more and more aware uh, that the risk-benefit ratio of statins has been way, way um, oversold in terms of, you know, exaggerating the benefits and playing down the risks, um, of course, because they're making so much money off of them. And I find it just amazing that they're now prescribing statins to children. I just find that so shocking to think of a teenager mm. going through those years on a statin drug is just terrifying to me. So I, I do not understand, really. I just don't understand the medical people that they can believe that this drug could be okay, you know, uh, long term. I just, I just it, it boggles the mind. I read an article, they want to put uh, statin drugs in baby food because babies are now too fat. Um, oh, no. <laughs> it just, that just blew my mind, That's, even without... No, it's awful. It's just incredible. I mean, to think about the developing brain, you know, the child's brain, I just... Uh, it, it, it's uh, unbelievable, really. I don't know what limits these people can go to before 
people will wake up and become, you know, aware of what the medical system is doing to us with these drugs. You say in your book that you think the uh, basis for most of the autism and uh, Alzheimer's is about cholesterol sulfate. Where do we get that? Yes, cholesterol sulfate is an amazing molecule, and it's interesting that I zeroed in on it quite early in my research, <clears throat> and I connected it <clears throat> to both heart disease and autism, a deficiency in cholesterol sulfate, to both of those. And I will stick with that to this day. I believe I was right, and I, st- I mean, I, I've, I've not seen anything that would cause me to change my mind about that. Really remarkable. And uh, cholesterol sulfate is synthesized in the skin. The skin makes a lot of it, and it and it goes. Uh, from the skin into the circulation, and it um, and it's a very interesting molecule because it will insert itself into membranes of of cells like the red blood cells, or into the membranes of the lipid particles like the LDL and the HDL. Cholesterol sulfate will insert the cholesterol into the membrane, and the sulfate is sticking out. And that sulfate is really really important because it, it has a negative charge and it creates what's called structured water around it. So it ends up building a a jello shield around the the particle. Uh, that protects it from damage, from oxidative damage, from glycation damage, you know, all these other things that are in the blood that could disrupt this particle, uh, it becomes protected by that sulfate that's in the um, cholesterol sulfate. It's really a cool system. And it also makes the red blood cells repel each other because it gives them the negative charge so they don't stick together. And that is going to help a lot with blood circulation, that the red blood cells will flow freely. And, of course, giving them that negative charge also gives them more power to get through the capillaries because they're driven they're driven by the voltage drop between the arteries and the veins and if they've got a negative charge they will be more attracted to the other side of the capillary uh, this is just you know basic physics and so they will um, slide through the capillary um, effortlessly if the capillary itself is also coated with gelled water and if the red blood cell is sufficiently negatively charged it makes it very easy for the blood to circulate and this is like the most important thing in the body is that the blood circulates freely and I'm going to step sideways for just a moment and ask a question about sunlight. So we have statins stripping the good cholesterol out of our system, and we're crazed with blocking sun getting onto our skins by applying, in my opinion, toxic skin screen, sunscreens. Right. So aren't we creating this amazing bad vector of we're not only wanting yeah. to give kids statins early, we're also stopping them from getting the the primary stimulator for getting that action to occur by blocking the sun getting to their skin. Is it just me? That's right. I mean, that seems bad. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think that one of the best things children or anybody can do is get outside in the sun, and the sun is really a, a miracle at what it can do for you and your body. You know, you, you think about life really evolved in the sun, and we can we can use the sun's energy and our cells are not going to be stupid about not taking advantage of that and so we know that this, the plants take take in sunlight and turn it into uh, green you know they, they grow uh, organic material that we can eat so the plants are providing us with food um, through the sunlight the sunlight is what's allowing them to do that animals you know can't do that but they have another way that they use the sunlight i believe they are actually able to capture the energy in the sunlight in the form of the cholesterol sulfate molecule and other molecules, certainly by mm-hmm. making sulfate uh, triggered, catalyzed by the sunlight, and then attaching that sulfate to various sterols. Cholesterol is one of them, but you've also got DHEA sulfate, you've got vitamin D sulfate. You know, there's a lot of these molecules that are sulfated when they're shipped around in the, in the blood. 
And those molecules are actually distributing that sulfate to the, throughout the tissues. So the sulfate is synthesized in the skin in response to sunlight, and then it is attached to all these molecules that can carry it around and make it do good things in the blood and keep the blood healthy. And I'm slightly locked up for a moment thinking about skin, you know, all the skin goo. Um, and how do we, is it, can our body, do our bodies create cholesterol sulfate or do we have to get it in our foods? Where do, what's our source for cholesterol sulfate and how do we get more yeah. of it? Well, certainly the body can make it. The liver make, makes a lot of it, and uh, this is how the statins work: is to keep the liver from being able to make the cholesterol, because they block the they block the pathway towards cholesterol at a very early point in the pathway, and this means they also block a lot of other really important molecules that come out of that pathway. One of them is vitamin D. Now, vitamin D is very similar to cholesterol. It's interesting that we're so aware of vitamin D deficiency and so worried about it. People take vitamin D supplements; many of them do. Um, and yet they're trying desperately to get their cholesterol down. It's so ironic because they're almost the same molecule. They're very, very similar. And, um, and both of them are produced in the skin, and you need the sunlight to make the vitamin D from cholesterol. And so um, it's, it, all of these uh, sterols are really important for our health. And cholesterol, you, know, you can get it in the food, of course. You can, and you can eat animal-based when you eat animal-based foods, you're pretty much uh, going to get cholesterol in the foods, and um, unless you're eating like non-fat milk or something, you know, um, anything that's got animal fat is going to have cholesterol in it. And if you are completely plant-based, then you're not eating any cholesterol because there's no cholesterol in plants. Plants are unable to make it. This is really a, a big distinction between animals and plants. You made, and of course, the vitamin D. I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to mention that the. Right. Um, Sunscreen has aluminum, and a lot of the sunscreens have aluminum in them, and aluminum uh, will be absorbed into the skin and disrupt the skin's ability to make the sulfate. So that's going to be a really crucial problem with the... Not only does the sunscreen prevent you um, from making... Um, you know, it's, it's blocking your, your skin's ability to take advantage of the sun as a source of energy, and it's also disrupting your body's ability to make the sulfate, which is a very serious problem, through the aluminum. Wow. In your book, one of your uh, characters, I'm putting air quotes around that, mentions, uh, because it happens during the writing of the book or, or in that era, uh, you talk about Steve Jobs' death. And you, mm. the character makes an interesting and fascinating observation about vegetarian computer scientists having ele elevated levels of death, uh, pancreatic death, I think is the one. But I, could you talk yeah. about that a little? Because that's a vector of that that goes so to what you're talking about. That's just that blew my mind when I heard that combination. I know, and I was fascinated by that too. And actually, pancreatic cancer is going up dramatically in the last two decades, exactly in step with the increase in the use of glyphosate on core crops. So this sort of gives us a chance to get into the glyphosate. I've been trying to understand. I believe glyphosate causes pancreatic cancer, and I suspect that it. Uh, you're more, your pancreas is more sensitive when you don't eat enough healthy fats. Uh, you know, it causes your pancreas to be um, less robust against uh, toxins that it, it's exposed to. And um, it's quite fascinating uh, the ways in which glyphosate disrupts the pancreas's ability to do its job. Uh, the pancreas secretes a lot of enzymes. You know, it's responsible for the digestive enzymes, trypsin and pepsin and lipase. And... Um, 
those enzymes get uh, contaminated with glyphosate. Anthony Samso actually sent ordered some um, of these enzymes, pork kinds, so it's pig uh, pig sourced enzy- enzymes from a lab. Um, Anthony Samso works with me, and he's been testing various things for glyphosate contamination, and he found high levels of glyphosate in in all three of those enzymes, um, the uh, trypsin, pepsin, and lipase. And so uh, the, the pancreas, so cells that make a lot of proteins uh, take up a lot of amino acids to make those proteins, and glyphosate is an amino acid. And so the pancreas, the cells in the pancreas are especially inclined to soak up glyphosate. They're going to take it up on their amino acid channels, actively take it up, and then they're going to incorporate the glyphosate, I believe, into their into the proteins that it's synthesizing. And so the pancreas synthesizes these defective versions of these enzymes that are supposed to digest fats and digest proteins. And those defective versions of the enzymes are then causing stress to the pancreas. And, of course, the glyphosate itself is also causing oxidative stress, and eventually you get uh, pancreatic cancer. But you also have, in the meantime, digestive issues because the um, the enzymes aren't working correctly, and so you get undigested proteins, uh, that and, and that causes the gut to open up the barrier, and so you get these undigested proteins leaking into the bloodstream, and then you get the immune cells reacting to these foreign proteins and producing antibodies that can then become autoantibodies and attack your tissue. So we have an epidemic and all kinds of autoimmune diseases that I think can be traced to glyphosate. Um, And it's getting worse and worse because the use of glyphosate is going up and up on our crops to this day. What's the connection between glyphosate and statins? (laughs) Well, I would say glyphosate is what's causing the problem of the high serum cholesterol, which is causing people to then want to take a statin drug to fix that problem. Uh, you know, we, we see a correlation. It's not a very strong correlation, but there is a correlation between high cholesterol and heart disease. And the simple uh, idea is if you can make those numbers go down, it's going to protect you from the heart disease. It's not really true because the statins are actually making your heart sicker rather than healthier. And But the, the glyphosate prevents the... Um, the, the uh, cholesterol from being taken up by the cells, and this I think is because it's getting into the receptors. The LDL receptor is a protein that contains an essential glycine residue that it needs to be able to hook onto the membrane. And glyphosate, I, I am almost positive at this point that glyphosate is substituting for glycine during protein synthesis. This is something I've been talking a lot about lately because I think that explains how one molecule can cause so much destruction everywhere. There's so many diseases that are going up dramatically uh, in step with a dramatic rise in glyphosate, and nothing else that we're using on the crops matches the way glyphosate does. So I have been seeking a reason why glyphosate would be able to cause so much collateral damage in all these different ways. And an answer is that it gets into proteins by mistake in place of glycine. It's an amino acid. Glyphosate is a glycine molecule, but it has extra stuff stuck on its nitrogen atom. It's actually a pretty simple molecule. But what's happening is that glyphosate is fooling the system when it assembles a protein, and it grabs glyphosate by mistake when it means to grab glycine and puts it directly into the protein. And certain proteins are highly sensitive to having glyphosate at that to not having glyphosate at that spot. They need to have glycine or else they won't work. And uh, the, the LDL receptor is one of those proteins. So it can't get to the membrane. It can't receive the LDL, and therefore the LDL, it slows down the ability of the cells to take the LDL away from the blood, and therefore the LDL goes up. So now when you have that elevated LDL, they put you on a statin drug, which then prevents the liver from producing enough cholesterol to make the LDL, and now you've got a systemic uh, 
cholesterol deficiency problem throughout your body, including the heart, which is going to make the heart very sick, and you end up with heart failure instead of a heart attack. So what I think you're doing with a statin is trading off a possible heart attack for heart failure, which is, in my opinion, a much worse condition. I've seen people in the clinic here. One man in particular came in, and he couldn't even hardly walk, and his cholesterol was around 60, and the doctor Mm. wanted it lower. Is that crazy? It is insane. I don't understand how the doctors were able to receive this message and believe it, that, you know, the lower the better, and there's no lower limit that's too low. You know, just like drive it down to zero if you can. It's so insane. I just don't. It, it it just baffles me that people that medical professionals uh, believe this. You know, they should know how important cholesterol is for your health. And of course, the brain the brain contains like something like two percent of the body's weight and twenty five percent of the body's cholesterol. I mean, there's huge amounts of cholesterol in the brain, and the brain needs that cholesterol in order for you to be able to think and you know remember things i mean it's gonna we've got uh a dementia you know is also an epidemic and that's connected to uh, cholesterol deficiency in the brain I've and seen, could, oh, go ahead sherry uh, one question uh, and then i'll i'll let go uh i've read in your materials that statins deteriorate muscles and i've yes. seen in our lab that metformin deteriorates muscles is there a connection there Oh, I don't know about metformin having a problem with muscles. I do know that metformin disrupts uh, the uptake of cobalamin, which is very serious because cobalamin Mm. deficiency can cause uh, dementia. You know, you can end up with uh, brain problems because of cobalamin deficiency. Um, Statins, and I wrote in the book, it was, and actually this was something I was doing at the same time that I was writing about the the husband who was um, doing the research. Steve was... uh, was studying statin drug side effects, and he had gathered statistics, and he had run uh, number crunch the words in the statin side effect or in the statin side of, uh, statin papers on side effects. He, he had crunched number crunched the words against word frequencies against word frequencies in what's called the Google Unigram. It's sort of like a universal word frequency pattern for words in the lang- in the English language. So of course, the would be very very frequent. You know, the and a and and, and then you would have less frequent words. But he did an. Uh, I did a, a similar project where I took uh, literature on statin drug side effects papers and ran them through this number crunching thing and came up with the top candidate words that were most out of whack in terms of being represented much more often in the database than they were in the general language. And of course, the top ten words that came up were things like Lipitor and statin drugs. You know, those things related to statins. But then there was this word called atrogen that was made the top ten, and I didn't have any idea what that word was, what it meant or anything, you know. But there it was in the top ten. It was like way out of whack, a very rare word, but much less rare in the database than it was in the general language. And so I looked it up and found a paper that talked about atrogen being a protein that's released by muscle cells uh, when they're when they're being damaged. So it's an indicator of muscle damage, and it was mentioned in these statin papers with respect to statin drugs causing the muscles to release this protein that's indicating that they're being damaged. So, I mean, statins really are very hard on the muscle cells, and part of that is the coenzyme uh, Q10 that gets uh, blocked because that's part of the pathway that statins block. They end up disrupting the muscle's ability to make an enzyme that's really crucial for uh, in the um, 
in the mitochondria to make energy for the cells. So the muscle, you know, is, is caught with a an inability to provide enough energy to fuel muscle movement. And there are papers that show that, you know, exercise is extremely important to try to protect you from heart disease. But if you're taking a statin, a statin drug exercise is no longer beneficial because I think it's ruining your muscles. You'll end up destroying your muscles because they cannot handle the amount of energy that it takes, you know, to, to, to exercise the muscle if they're being exposed to a statin drug. So we have, a, I mean, there were huge, I did studies on patient reports of, of side effects um, in uh, statin drugs just grabbing all these reports off the web of patients describing their experience with statin drugs and looking at uh, statistics on word frequencies against uh, other side effect reports for other drugs that these people were taking. And, and it was a shocking list of things that were far more uh, frequently mentioned as side effects of statins than other drugs. And a lot of them had to do with muscle weakness and muscle pain and neuropathy and, and you know issues with brain fog and just all kinds of scary things that were showing up as complaints of side effects with the um, with the statin drugs. And I'm not advocating for this, but I'm wondering, does it do anybody good? Let's say for some reason they just really want to take their statins. I'm not saying that's my desire for anybody. <laughs> However, mm -hmm. can they get benefit from taking a higher level of CoQ10? Will that give their body some assistance in a certain, in a way at least? I would think so. I mean, it's really a question of whether that CoQ10 can go through the digestive system intact and get into the cells. And I actually don't know. I, I haven't done. I don't know if the research has even been done to confirm okay. that. Well, how much of the CoQ10 that you take actually gets where it needs to go, you know, whether you have to take okay. huge amounts because most of it gets uh, broken down in the gut or something. I don't know. I just don't know. But, yes, I would okay. think if I were forced at gunpoint to take a statin drug, I would definitely take CoQ10 to try to, you know, counteract okay. that, that problem. But there's many I may other have to quote, I may quote you on that. Out of that pathway too. Yeah. Hmm? I may quote you on that. If someone held a gun to your head to make you take statins, that you would take CoQ10. That would be a good right. line for the person I'm picking yes. up. And, and that bounces me back to talking about glyphosate mm -hmm. because of the damage it does to the... Talk more about the kind of damage that it actually does to the digestive system since there is so much research. So many people are talking about microbiome and gut health. I know. And I hear a lot of people talking about that but I don't hear people talking as much about the glyphosate's effect on gut and its ability to digest. I think glyphosate is key. I think it is the reason why we're having so many issues with our gut these days. And, you know, scientists are becoming aware of the importance of microbes because they're not working anymore. They used to work fine, so we didn't even notice that they were, what they were doing. But now that they're not doing the right thing, we're seeing all these problems. And lots of papers are coming out about the gut. And it's actually amazing to me... Um, what's coming out of papers that are being done on autism research and on research on Western diet, you know, exposure of rats and different kinds of experiments with mice and rats are really amazing. And they are revealing consistently, you know, so I can give you several examples that tie glyphosate together with autism and with the gut dysbiosis. Of course, many kids with autism have issues with their gut. They have many food allergies. They have food. They're picky eaters. I mean, there's all kinds of digestive issues. But glyphosate is a total train wreck for the gut. And uh, it starts with disrupting the gut microbes and getting them out of balance. And in particular, bifidobacteria, 
which are really, really important. And in fact, they're important for the bile acids in order to be able to properly manage the bile acids. And they get clobbered by glyphosate, and, uh, whereas Clostridia species tend to thrive. So they have a much less uh, sensitivity to glyphosate. So when bifido, bifidobacteria shrink, when that, their numbers shrink, then the Clostridia gain a foothold. And you also get yeast overgrowth. So you get a lot of issues with Clostridia and yeast and, you know, overgrowth in the gut because glyphosate is, wha- is whacking the bifidobacteria. And it's doing that because it's very interesting. What Anthony and I are thinking, and we're working on a new paper right now, it'll be glyphosate seven of the theories. We've done one through six. Glyphosate seven is going to have a lot to do with the gut bacteria and the bile acids. And the bile acids are so fascinating because the liver uh, makes bile acids using enzymes called cytochrome P450 enzymes, and glyphosate has been shown to clobber those enzymes. So the liver is impaired in its ability to make bile acids to begin with. Bile acids are important for digesting fats, but they actually turn out to have a lot of other roles as well. We're beginning to appreciate all the different things the bile acids do uh, to keep the gut healthy. But the liver produces these bile acids, and then it ships them out. It attaches a glycine molecule to each bile acid before it goes out the door. It's so fascinating. It attaches either a glycine or a taurine. These are two amino acids that get attached. I think it's actually delivering the glycine and taurine to the gut microbes kind of on a silver platter. Like it set it up so that the microbes can easily process the glycine and the taurine in important ways. Glycine is going to be a source of methyl groups, so you get methylation deficiency if that's not working. And taurine is a source of sulfate. The gut microbes can oxidize taurine to sulfate and supply us with sulfate through that process. So both of those are being provided by the bile acids to the microbes, particularly the bifidobacteria are the ones who take those two things off. They take off the glycine, they take off the taurine, and then they turn them into wonderful things for us. So the bifidobacteria are getting hit hard by glyphosate because they're picking glyphosate off of the bile acid. Glyphosate is attaching to the bile acid instead of glycine. Glyphosate goes everywhere glycine goes, and it messes glycine up. And glycine is so important in our body. And all the things that glycine does get get disrupted by glyphosate getting in the way. And so this is how the bifidobacteria get destroyed, and this is what allows the clostridia to overgrow. And then you get the clostridia releasing all kinds of toxins that cause all kinds of trouble to the brain, and and, uh, you end up with autism. There was a study on mice that was really interesting. They were called BTBR mice, and they were produced by multiple generations of lab mice being fed probably high doses of glyphosate in their GMO Roundup-ready feed. So the lab mice were being exposed to glyphosate generationally, and each generation was getting its gut microbes more disrupted than the one before. And these mice ended up with a classic mouse autism. They are able to detect autism in mice. They have these three different you know, dimensions of it that they study to say these mice have autism. And, and those BTBR mice have all the features of mouse autism. <clears throat> and they have, <clears throat> they've looked at their gut, and they found the low, very low bifidobacteria, very high clostridia, uh, in, in, in inadequate amounts of um, of these short-chain fatty acids that are produced by the gut microbes. So the gut microbes cannot keep up with the production of short-chain fatty acids, which turn out to be really, really important for the gut health, for the colon, because it, 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 it uses these short-chain fatty acids as fuel that are produced by the gut microbes, but the gut microbes are crippled. They can't produce them, and then the colon gets sick. So it's really quite a, a mess. There's also a deficiency in tryptophan, which leads to a deficiency in serotonin, and that serotonin is important for the gut to uh, flow, for you to push the feces through the gut, you know, to actually make things work. Serotonin is really important for that, and that becomes deficient as well. And that's C 
seen in these BTBR mice. So the BTBR mice have the signatures of autism, and they have the signatures of all the things that glyphosate has been shown to do, the disruption of the cytochrome P450 enzymes leading to reduced bile acids, the imbalance of the gut microbes, and the um, you know insufficient supply of bile acids, and inadequate metabolism of bile acids as well, because that's done by these gut microbes that are killed by glyphosate. So the whole thing, the gut just really kind of shuts down and gets into trouble. And I mentioned also that it messes up the enzymes that are produced by the, by the pancreas so that things are not getting properly digested. So now when the proteins aren't digested, things like celiac disease come about because of gluten intolerance. We have an epidemic in gluten intolerance, casein intolerance. This is because these are difficult proteins to break down, and glyphosate is disrupting uh, the enzyme's ability to break down those proteins, and therefore they're getting uh, into the circulation and causing autoimmune disease. And, yeah... <laughs> and the glu- you know part of the gluten thing is also talk about how they now are you know spraying i mean they i don't know it's amazing uh how they've found but yet another reason to spray glyphosate now they're spraying it on crops just pre-harvest so it causes the the leaves to drop so it's make harvesting easier so i i just typically i i tell people just to stay away from bread or gluten products yes because they're just too dirty at this point. It's not that I, I think Absolutely. I'm, I'm unclear that gluten, I mean, I believe that gluten can be an issue, but from my own experience, I happen to have a baker who has somebody who grows some old ancient grains, gluten, mm-hmm. like the original, original wheat, and right. it's grown organically and correctly. And I can eat that bread, no issues whatsoever. Right. I eat I mean, regular over-the-counter about- bread. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay, that's what you're saying. You have a sensitivity, but not to this healthy uh, ancient grain organic bread, right? Right. There was actually a study that was done that uh, compared. They had people who had uh, issues with um, inflammatory gut, and they uh, they had the groups, um, they spent a period eating organic uh, ancient grain bread, and then they switched over to the normal bread. And when they were eating the organic bread, they showed they had a huge improvement in their inflammatory gut. And then as soon as they switched over to the other, it was a controlled experiment where they showed that it was a, a very big difference between the two. And people talk a lot about the change in the grains, but I really think it's the glyphosate that's the key problem. You know, I don't know what, to what percent of the problem is due to the actual changing in the grains, but I think if you were to grow today's bread organically, it would be much, much better the glyphosate is really the key thing that's causing the epidemic in celiac disease. It's sprayed right before the harvest, as you said, as a desiccant. <clears throat> and the glyphosate goes into the seed, it gets into the bread, and, and, and bread uh, gluten-based products are coming up with. In fact, the wheat germ has the highest levels of glyphosate in it. You know, So it's the most nutritious part of the wheat that has the most poison, which is really sad. And it's not just wheat, it's also sprayed on barley and... <clears throat> on legumes, uh, so beans, uh, chickpeas, so hummus, for example. Hummus has tested sky high for glyphosate, which was disappointing to me because I like hummus. So you've got to eat organic if you if you buy hummus. And um, also, what else? The barley and the wheat and the sugar cane. So sugar cane is sprayed with glyphosate right before mm. the harvest. And actually there's an epidemic in kidney failure among sugar cane workers. Uh, and I actually studied that topic extensively, and I've just re- um, gotten accepted two papers that I wrote. There are a pair of papers that will show up together in the same issue of a journal. Uh, should show up shortly because they've been accepted. Um, 
linking glyphosate to the kidney failure problem. It's a an epidemic. It's like the number one cause of death among young men in Nicaragua and El Salvador right now because and these are the men that are working in the sugarcane fields and getting their kidney destroyed by the glyphosate. And we talk in these papers about the mechanism by which that happens. Well, and we have this amazing, once again, we have this, to me, amazing vector of, so you're putting glyphosate, uh, glyphosate on the crops. The glyphosate is in, ter- is in turn, if it only did bad things to the back- good bacteria in our gut, that would be one thing. But it's doing that to our gut, and then we're eating grains or hummus, not hummus, um, hummus that's high levels of glyphosate. So it's just this amazing cycle of, on every angle, we're getting glyphosate, which is further, I mean, it's just this endless cycle of exposure to glyphosate. I, I know, I live in Northern California in wine country, and I know that there have mm. been tests privately done in organic wines in Northern California yeah. who are showing up having levels of glyphosate. And they're not, they're fully organic. They're not lying organic. I know some of these growers, they're, they've been yeah. doing this even to a level of biodynamic farming for decades. Right. And now they're showing levels of glyphosate because I believe it's in the water table because of the other crops right, that are up the here. Rain. So it's, yeah, because of the rain. Rain! You can't avoid it. it <laughs> and so how do you, I don't know, where do we go? How do we... I know. Do you... Do we start out by the fact that we're being poisoned? (laughs) You know, we cannot avoid it. We have to just accept it, which I hate. You know, of course, we are obsessed on buying organic, but that's not even good enough, really. You know, we we need to move to a different planet if we want to avoid glyphosate. It is everywhere, especially in this country, by the way. The U.S. uses far more than any other country. We're number one in terms of the consumption of glyphosate, and of course, we use it also on our lawns. You know, and people think it's safe and so they can use it carelessly they can have children out playing in the grass it was just exposed i mean i think it's they'll put it on the playground at the school and just delay recess by an hour and think that's fine you know you know i mean they just don't realize how toxic this stuff is it's really um disturbing to me but that's the thing that needs to people need to become aware of because the government thinks it's non-toxic and monsanto of course wants them to think that the, the producer of glyphosate, and their studies, uh, Anthony Samsel has uh, huge piles of materials that are Monsanto's early studies, and he's been, you know, rummaging through them, finding finding the stories from Monsanto's research, and it's very clear to Anthony that Monsanto folks know that glyphosate is going into the tissues and accumulating there, because they've done the experiments where they expose rats to radio-labeled glyphosate, and then they test the levels in the muscle, and they find the radio label in the muscle. So they know it's going in, you know, and into the in the bone marrow. I mean, everywhere that they look, they find it. So it's what happens as you as you are every day exposed to glyphosate is a little more every day goes into your tissues, and eventually something breaks. You know, we get, for example, we have an epidemic in an opioid drug um, crisis right now, right? So many people are getting overdosed on opioid drugs and dying, and you know, it, it's funny to me that there's never a part of the conversation like in the news they're never talking about geez i wonder why so many people are in so much pain you know all these people have so much pain and the the doctor wants to treat it so he wants to give them a drug to help relieve their pain well why is there so much pain we should not be having all this pain all the time and there's so many people with back pain and shoulder pain and you know foot pain all kinds of problems with the feet all of these things i think are connected to glyphosate getting into the collagen collagen is the 
most common protein in the body, 25% of the body's protein is collagen molecules. And collagen has a uh, particular sequence pattern in its uh, in its DNA that codes for glycine at every third residue. So it goes glycine XY, glycine XY, glycine XY in a pattern, a triple pattern. X and Y can, can be certain other amino acids, but it's always glycine, every third one. And that's really important in order for it to form the proper a triple helix structure that is de- that collagen depends on in order to work properly. Collagen is a really important structural protein that you know provides tensile strength and flexibility and it holds water. It has a lot of properties that get messed up when it gets glyphosate thrown in there randomly in place of those glycines. This is what I think is happening. And so uh, people are having problems with their joints because they're they're not working correctly because the collagen molecule is broken by the glyphosate. In your new book, Cindy and Erica's Obsession, is there a solution? Yeah, well, the book, so the book, of course, I, I should say something about the book. I wrote it about, actually, eight years ago, I think around 2012, actually less than that, six years ago. Um, as I was discovering all these things, you know, Cindy's the protagonist, and she's discovering them alongside me. So she was. it was sort of a catharsis for me to write that book because, it was such a lot to cope with when you started to realize all the issues. And I mean, it talks a lot about the vaccines. And um, the vaccines, I think, are another important piece of the puzzle and part of the reason why the children are so sick, because we're filling them with toxic chemicals with the, all these vaccines. They were giving them way too many vaccines. And the vaccines are contaminated. They're contaminated with toxic metals, and they're also contaminated with glyphosate. This is really, really disturbing to me. Anthony, Anthony Samso found glyphosate in several different um, vaccines that are given to the children. So um, when you inject glyphosate in the body, along with uh, the viruses that are in the, those vaccines and all the other stuff that's in there, it's just really scary to think about the consequences of that. And so um, I believe the vaccines are, are, are a factor in autism. And we certainly have a crisis with autism. One in 36 at today, the latest number, one in 36 of the children are, are diagnosed on the autism spectrum. This is, to me, unbelievable. You know, it's going to be such a crisis once all these kids grow up. We're not going to be able to do much else besides take care of all the disabled people in our society. That's going to be pretty much all we do, I think, a few years down the road. I got off on a tangent because you asked me something and I forgot to answer it, I think. Do you remember what it was? (laughs) Is there a solution? Oh, the book. Uh, solution. Oh, yes, so the book. Yes, the book goes through time, and then in the last chapter of the book, it's like many years later, and uh, the government has actually done a good thing. So the government has woken up and realized and straightened out, and everything's beautiful. Now I don't know that that's going to happen in the real world because the government is incredibly bought, and uh, it seems like they're unbudgeable. You know, I don't know what you would have to tell them to point out to them how sick our society is. You know, we have a huge. Uh, America spends so much more more on medical care than any other country, and uh, we basically have a sick population, and we're getting sicker faster because because glyphosate accumulates in the body, and we're getting more exposure each year. It's sort of more than exponential growth in terms of the amount of glyphosate that's piling into our proteins, and any individual is going to have something that cracks, and then that's just going to spiral down, you know, and take them take them out. They're going to either get pancreatic cancer or you know, a kidney failure. I mean, there's all these things that are going to happen, Alzheimer's. We're all looking at a dismal future, I think, as we age because we're accumulating this glyphosate, and it's very, very difficult to get it out. 
But in the book, uh, basically, the government wakes up and starts to uh, promote uh, organic farming and has a setup where restaurants can be on the farm, sort of you know, farm-to-table restaurant on the farm that gives the farm some kind of, um, for an organic farm that gives them some kind of a tax, tax advantage. So the government makes policy that encourages a switch over to organic food, and then um, also the um, vaccines become optional, and then so many people stop to getting vaccines, and so the vaccination rate goes way down and nothing terrible happens. And, of course, we don't know what's going to happen if we don't vaccinate the population. Uh, it's an experiment that we need to do, and I think we need to do it softly. I think if we just said, boom, no more vaccines, that's going to be a problem because uh, because the vaccines are actually messing up the whole system of the way viruses work in, in disease process. And so we have to sort of slowly unwind the mess that we've created with the vaccines and allow individual parents uh, the right to say no to the vaccines, and then the parents, it's the parents' responsibility to decide, each parent, which vaccines do they want their kids to get or do they want them to get any. And some parents will decide not to, and slowly the vaccination rate will go down, and we'll have to see what happens, you know. And if and if we have various outbreaks of smallpox or whatever, you know, which I don't think is going to happen, but if there is some catastrophe, that's going to bring people back to the vaccine. So I think we just need to do the experiment to find out what happens if we don't vaccinate the population. I personally believe um, vaccines are not the right way to to, to make a, a good immune system. Vaccines actually destroy your innate immunity. They make your innate immune system weaker and weaker every time you get a vaccine, and they protect you through antibodies with against specific viruses. Those antibodies can become autoantibodies and attack your own tissues, and that's actually what I think is happening in autism that the antibody to the measles virus is getting uh, produced in the brain's immune system, and then it's attacking the myelin sheath and destroying the nerve fibers in the brain uh, as a consequence of the MMR vaccine. This is what I think is happening in autism. Very scary stuff. Well, and, like this, and, that, in yeah. and that in combination with the stress on the gut from the glyphosate it yes. just seems like a terrible entourage or a, a, a stunning toxic load. I'm thinking of kids, you know, as yes. they grow up now, you were talking, you know, you were talking about the, the foundation of, you know, that in the future, our main job will be taking care of people who have conditions from the result yes. of this amazing cluster, a word I can't use on air, cluster of events yes. that occur <laughs> where you're starting out with a stressed out immune system because you can't assimilate correctly because yes. your path that your good bacteria have been clobbered, as you would say. And then on yes. top of that, you add vaccines to a system that's already compromised, that further compromises. Yes. It just, I, I, I have no words. It's just mind-boggling. I'm stunned. And, and the thing is that the glyphosate opens up the barrier, so it opens up the gut barrier, and then it opens up the brain barrier, and that's what gets really dangerous with the vaccine, because as long as you could keep the everything in the vaccine out of the brain, you'd be all right. You know, I mean, the brain is really... You wouldn't be all right, but at least your brain would be protected. <laughs> but once you've got that leaky brain barrier, which glyphosate sets up, you know, then all the vaccine stuff goes into the brain, and you get the brain's immune system responding to the vaccine, and that's how you get the autoimmune attack on the brain's tissues. It's really terrifying. And, um, and that's also Alzheimer's is a similar uh, process. I think there's a lot in common between dementia and autism, and both of them are going up dramatically in step with a dramatic rise in the use of glyphosate. And, of course, also in step with the increased uh, vaccine schedule, we have to just keep on adding vaccines to the schedule as if there's just no possibility of toxic load. And the amount of aluminum 
that's injected into a child by the time they've gotten all their vaccines is just shocking. It's shocking numbers. You know, aluminum is extremely toxic, and that's in a lot of the vaccines. And, of course, there's mercury as well. They, they cut back on the mercury, but they've been increasing the amount of aluminum. I really hate the Gardasil vaccine. That one I just do not understand how people can think it's a good idea. You know, you're trying to protect yourself from a disease that your child might get 40 years from now. And there's, they haven't been able, of course, to test whether it actually works or not because they can't wait 40 years. They're just blind faith, really. And Gardasil causes an enormous number of um, issues with the um, bad reactions to Gardasil. And that's something that was talked about in the book as well. And I've studied that because I've looked at the statistics on Gardasil, um, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Gardasil is one of the softwares that we have on our portal so that people can test themselves against the potential damage. So soundhealthportal.com. And I love this idea you just brought up, the idea of parents' rights. We've got Mm -hmm. a question from uh, our audience. They want to know if they can purchase cholesterol sulfate or is this some prescription thing? Yeah, well, I I, I do think um, there there were some autistic kids that had a particular defect, um, and I think that they actually gave them cholesterol sulfate uh, as a supplement. It's an extremely unusual supplement, and you don't hear about it. I don't even know if you've tried to order it on the web whether you would find it. The interesting thing is that uh, cholesterol sulfate is a mystery, and uh, the researchers don't quite understand what it does, and they don't particularly think it's important, so they've just ignored it. Uh, which is unfortunate because it's absolutely essential, you know, for your health. But um, there isn't an awareness of it among the nutritional community. There isn't an awareness of the importance of it. Uh, Certainly you can eat foods that would contain cholesterol sulfate, and one of those is milk. So organic, you know, uh, raw milk, organic raw milk would be a really good source of cholesterol sulfate, which is interesting because it's the mother supplying it to the child. And, um, you know, seafood... um, various um, fish and seafood, I would say, and and grass-fed beef. I mean, these would all be good sources of cholesterol sulfate as a natural source. I I generally like, uh, you know, eating good foods rather than taking purified supplements because supplements are sort of highly processed and and, and also in isolation. I don't like the idea of taking something in isolation. I like the idea of eating a food that contains it because that food then contains everything else that's appropriate for handling this supplement appropriately in the digestive system. I think I will get this and create a database so people can test themselves. Mm. I'll I'll put it up on the portal free for everyone. So look for an announcement. We'll talk about it on our next show. And back to the grass-fed beef and the dairy for a moment, does that mean that we could also get it from good organic butter as well? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yes. Because that seems like a magic vortex of good fat content, uh, you know, good everything, organic grass-fed. Locally, I have some dairies who actually produce grass-fed butter, um, organic grass-fed, and it's delicious to begin with, and just the idea of, um, you know, anything we can do, and it seems like the fats in there are also going to be good for the tissues in the gut. Is there any kind of... Is there something we can be doing um, besides moving to Mars and starting over? 
<laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe yeah. that's why Elon Musk is so possessed about going to Mars. He wants to start over with our family. <laughs> I know. Food. I'm starting to think that way too. Like, well, yeah, maybe. Is so Sounds no okay. You can live on it. Yeah. Right. Now, there are things um, that but, people have done to help to treat glyphosate poisoning. Um, okay. if we respect, with respect to cows, they've done experiments, and these cows were testing high glyphosate in their urine. You can get your urine tested for glyphosate, and that's going to look at your last few weeks of exposure because most of it goes through your body un, unprocessed and goes out through your urine or your feces, but a small percentage of it goes into your tissues in the form of, I think, in the form of glyphosate embedded in proteins, which is what is really, really dangerous. But the um, you can take... Um, uh, fulvic acid and humic acid, which are organic matter from the soil, and then uh, coal, uh, uh, let's see, bentonite clay. Bentonite clay, uh, these may be classic things that people take for detox, but apparently that they work, too. They bind to glyphosate and pull it out through the feces is what I've been told. And another really interesting thing is per- fermented foods, particularly uh, I like organic Bragg's apple cider vinegar, unfilter, mm-hmm. unfiltered. Mm-hmm. The vinegar with a natural... Um, microbes in it, acetobacter in particular, there are very, very few microbes that can actually metabolize glyphosate. So most of the glyphosate doesn't get changed. It's a very hardy molecule, and it's difficult to break it down. But there are just a few bacteria that can do that, and one of them is acetobacter. So uh, that's really interesting to me because that means that you could, for example, just have some vinegar in your salad before you eat your dinner, and then you're going to have those acetobacter ready to go to metabolize the glyphosate, whatever glyphosate might be in the food that you're eating. You could hope that it might clear it, you know, actually break it down into useful uh, nutrients, actually, is what it would do, the acetobacter. So um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa is another uh, microbe that can break down glyphosate, and I suspect that that's the reason why we have an epidemic in, in nasty infections with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So because it's hardy, if it can break down glyphosate, then it's, it's immune to it. Is there? Go ahead, Sherry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I have to formulate. Okay, we have an incredible question from the audience. I love it. They want to know if you consider yourself a whistleblower. (laughs) I suppose so. I mean, I don't consider myself a whistleblower per se, but I do think I'm confronting Monsanto and challenging them on their claim. Uh, first of all, they claim that glyphosate is safe, which I think is ridiculous. It's very clear it's not safe. And secondly, their insistence that glyphosate cannot get into proteins by mistake in place of glycine. I think that I would say a whistleblower on that because Anthony has seen that Monsanto's own people have done studies, which makes Anthony think that they they were suspecting that's what was happening. This is really crucial, whether it can do this or not. And um, to me, the evidence is overwhelming that it's happening, but what they're making people believe is that it's impossible. And they're making them believe so well that it's impossible that they won't even do the experiments to see if it's there. It really annoys me. I'm trying very hard to get chemists out there. If anyone listening to this is a chemist who has the skill to do the experiment in the lab that would be a definitive experiment to prove that it's happening, it's tricky because when the glyphosate goes into the protein, uh, it makes the protein difficult to break down. And if you try to measure the glyphosate, you won't see it. It's invisible in the protein according to the normal ways you would measure it because it has to be a free molecule in order for it to be seen through the measurement process. So it can be in the protein but invisible, and therefore you won't know that it's there. This is what's really insidious. Monsanto did studies that Anthony has found, 
and we've written about them, where they fed the animals radio-labeled glyphosate, and then they looked for radio-label. They found high levels of radio-label in the in the muscles. So this would be, for example, chicken meat, right, in the muscles, high levels of glyphosate, according to the radio-label, the radio-label you can see. But when they measured the amount of glyphosate according to the normal method you would use, it came up way short. So there was a whole lot of radio-label in the tissue that was not accountable as free glyphosate molecules. Then they did the brilliant thing, which is to break down the protein using hydrochloric acid over several days. So they tried to break mm. the protein down into individual molecules so that that would free up the glyphosate and it would become visible. And then they indeed found a higher. They got more yield, but they still had a big gap between the radio label and the, and the amount of glyphosate they could detect. What this means to me is that the protein is extremely difficult to break down once it has glyphosate in it, which is really, really bad because you get glyphosate-contaminated uh, amyloid beta plaque in the brain, and then you, you get Alzheimer's disease. The, the, the cells cannot clear the garbage, and the garbage contains glyphosate. So this is why you get this slow accumulation of glyphosate-contaminated proteins that can't be broken down, and that is going to give you all kinds of nasty neurological diseases like Alzheimer's and ALS and Parkinson's disease. You know, it's just really frightening. And autism, I think, is that is that's part of the story with autism as well. So um, Monsanto's own studies make Anthony believe, and I agree with him, that those people who were doing those studies suspected that it was getting into the protein, and that was why they couldn't see it. It makes a whole lot of sense. And to me, it's strong evidence. Also, there's the actual enzyme that they claim is the major disrupt, disrupted enzyme in plants that kills them which is in the shikimate pathway, there's an enzyme called EPSP synthase. And that enzyme uh, it gets busted by glyphosate. You know, it doesn't work. And the way it gets busted is that it, glyphosate blocks the ability of a substrate called PEP to fit into a socket. The socket shape gets, uh, or glyphosate gets in the way, so the PEP cannot get into the socket. And it turns out that that socket is made up of a sequence of amino acids where one of them is a glycine that is extremely highly c conserved. It means that every single version of that enzyme of every single species has glycine at this certain position that's at that pocket. Glycine is the smallest amino acid, and glyphosate is a glycine molecule, but it has extra stuff on the nitrogen. So if the, glycine were to re if the glyphosate were to replace that glycine at that, active, at that socket for PEP, it, its extra stuff on the nitrogen would stick out into the, into the socket space and prevent the PEP from getting in because it would just bulge out and change the shape of the socket so that the PEP cannot get in, and then therefore the enzyme cannot work. And it's really interesting that multiple species of plants and multiple species of microbes have independently come up with the idea of changing that glycine into alanine, actually mutating the DNA so that it produces alanine instead of glycine, very, very unusual, at that spot. And the, the enzyme takes a hit because the alanine has an extra methyl group, which is going to get in the way, but that's a much smaller molecule than the methylphosphonyl group that glyphosate has. So you change the glycine to alanine, you take a hit on the protein, but it is absolutely insensitive to glyphosate. Studies have been done on E. coli with the alanine mutation. You can expose that, that enzyme to huge amounts of glyphosate and it won't even uh, react at all. And so that, to me, the only way to explain that is that glyphosate is substituting for that glycine. But, they, but the researchers who have written the papers do not suggest that which is really puzzling to me, 
No one dares to think that that might be happening, even though if it is happening, it explains all the correlations with all the diseases that are going up dramatically right now. And if it's not glyphosate, I would say to them, what is it? You know, what else is there out there that would match that well and cause all these diseases to go up? Because the diseases going up is not normal. You know, that's the thing we should be worrying about. I have a closing thought and or one last question. It, this goes back to what we talked, I believe, backstage before we actually started the show, was my byline has always been follow the money. And that certainly seems to be the trend of, sort of the running theme through here besides everything else that, that glyphosate's doing to our gut and the setup that we're in. But it just seems to be it's about making yes. the money. I could be, you know, I'd know. like to be wrong. I really no, would like right. to be wrong. I, I'd really like to I, be you know, wrong. It's become <laughs> obvious to me. I, I, I felt the same way when I first thought, of, oh, my God, it's just about the money. And it, when I first had that thought, I was like, no, that can't be true. But then as I see more and more, it becomes clear to me. Uh, it's really the medical mafia and the whole pharma thing, you know, where they're just pumping us full of all these drugs to deal with all these symptoms. And, 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 and a big pharma and, and, the, and the agrochemical industry are really the same industry. You know, it's all the same company. And they know how to make us sick with the food. And then they know how to shove us full of drugs to alleviate symptoms and make us even sicker with other different side effects of those drugs and a complete downward spiral where we're spending all of our money on all these drugs that are making us sick. It is so pathetic, the medical system in this country right now. It is really, it needs to be completely dissolved and start over. And I love the uh, alternative medicine people. They are really on fire. I think they're making tremendous progress in healing, you know, with nutrition that's um, the functional medicine, uh, the homeopathy, all of those people, the chiropractors, they are wonderful. And that's going to be our answer. The mainstream medicine, people are going to stop going to those doctors. They're just not worth it, you know? And do you think, there's so much we could talk about, uh, do you think that s- some of the positive benefits that people are getting from the paleo diet rage, and I mean that in a good way, the paleo diet, the organic grass-fed butter crowd in the paleo yes. world, some of the benefits that they're seeing, do you think that's because they're avoiding the glyphosate world? I do by, think so. By I having think you will organic get less. Yeah. Yes, I think you will get less. And I actually think it's interesting because, you know, you have people who are sort of on a low-fat uh, crave and then people are on a high-fat crave. I have a feeling that the combination of the sugars and the fats, both if you're eating both together, then the sugars attack the fats. You know, because because with the glyphosate, the glyphosate causes the sugars to attack the fats, and then the fats become very dangerous. Because when you get these polyunsaturated fats that are then oxidized and glycated, you know, you get messy molecules that are going to cause trouble, and you get you get glycation damage, and you know, you can go blind. I mean, you get various problems with your uh, with your blood circulation. So many problems can come out of that um, dangerous combination of the sugars and the fats. So if you sort of avoid the sugars and only eat the fats or you avoid the fats and only eat the sugars, you're probably better off in those extremes, which is not a nutritionally healthy, balanced diet, but it's really because of the glyphosate messing everything up. All right, we have to stop. This has been fun. Okay. This has been amazing. I knew it was going to be pedal the metal. We'll have to have you back <laughs> and have – we could talk about any area, any one of these areas – uh, it would be really interesting to ha- talk about what we can do to get the microbiome and the gut as healthy as possible so that while we're particularly directing toward kids, because it's yes. the foundation of, you know, make them as strong as you can so if they're going to have the rest of this, insert word of your choice, happen, 
at least they yes. you know they're as strong as we can be and have sunlight and all that. But we have to go. I'm sorry to say. And where would you like people to get your book? Oh yeah, we well, can a, get it on Amazon. You don't have a site, um, do you? I, I don't have a site for my book. It's either on on Amazon. It's a very small publisher, and I'm sure you could you could get it from the publisher. But Amazon has it. It's selling it, uh, ebook as well as the uh, paperback copy. And, right, okay. Um, yeah, and then I have my web page. I do have a web page at MIT, which is people, P-E-O-P-L-E dot C-Sale, my lab, computer science and artificial intelligence laboratory, C-S-A-I-L dot M-I-T dot E-D-U slash CENEF, S-E-N-E-F-F. And I put a lot of stuff up there on my lab, inclu- uh, on my website, including all my papers, my published papers and um, various pointers to uh, presentations and whatnot and interviews. I have a lot of stuff up there. But you can also just search my last name, S-E-N-E-F-F, and you'll find all the people telling you that I'm a quack and all of that. But right. And you can also find a lot of uh, interviews, uh, podcasts and, and, and video interviews and slide presentations. There's a lot of stuff um, under that. Yeah, under there's, name, so. there's a lot of material. Yeah, quack. That's the first thing I think of when I think Stephanie Seneff. That's so, like, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, I am amused by that. Catch, I mean, they, sorry? For those of you who didn't catch that address, we'll put it up on our radio site. Uh, great, thanks. All right, everybody. That was, I knew it was going to be pet of the metal, and it really was. That was fabulous. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And we'll see everybody Tuesday, and have a great rest of the weekend. And remember, to you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, then click on the blog talk radio archive tab in about 15 minutes, and you'll be able to find the audio there, or go to iTunes or blog talk radio, and you'll be able to find it there as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.